I am drunk somewhere, just not in a gutter. I'm drunk in a Zoom with you guys, so let's do it. This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Loserville. Um, that's <laughs> that's what South Florida is right now uh, at the moment as we speak. Uh, the Heat have been swept out of the playoffs. Panthers are out in the first round, too. What a difference a week makes. Oh, I feel like a week ago we were like the Panthers were in it with the lightning. The Heat were, you know, weren't swept by the Bucks. We were we were feeling good. We were. We were investing in uh, in Spencer Knight. And we were uh, thinking that even though they dropped the opener, the Heat were in great shape. And then it all went. Inner Miami stinks, too. I was at no. that. I was at that game on Saturday night, and whew, are we bad? We that oh. first goal that they allowed. I know no one was watching it, but they let, allowed a goal that you would see let up in like middle school soccer. Really, it was so epically bad. The goalie did this thing where he tried on a goal kick to just pass it to like the defender right to his right, and he just had a bad turnover, easy goal. Like just that he, the goalie should have just kicked it out. It's just I, we stink down here right now. And the Marlins parenthetically have lost three in a row. But with Inner Miami, it's not just that they're losing; it's the the scandal where they were fined a record two million dollars uh, for all these for cheating regarding uh, roster budget uh, regulations and all that. Budget. And, and by the way, by the way, it's the Greg Cody show. And guess who's on today? <laughs> Mike Ryan. And you know why he's on? Why, Dad? He's on to talk about the Inner Miami scandal and his uh, beloved Chelsea winning the Champions League. Now we're, rec- now we're recording this on Sunday. Do we have any confirmation that Mike will be here? I assume he's been partying all night. Right. He's drunk. Uh, there's no question about that. He's probably going to be uh, calling in from, uh, from a street corner in Hialeah. I don't know what's going on with Mike, but we're going to find out. You know, that's a, that's a mystery to be solved. And uh, Yeti, how you doing? I'm doing well, and I'd like to offer a little bit of hope. You started this off on a really down note, calling it Loserville. Yeah, I want to bring up a couple things. I, you know, I'm not from South Florida. I adopted the Heat a couple of years ago um, as my ride or die basketball team. But one, you've got Spencer Knight for the task that he was placed with. The the kid did phenomenal. Sure, sure it's a small sample size, but certainly something to hope for for the future. Right. But I, I also noticed another correlation. Ten years ago, LeBron James refused to post up J.J. Barea. What happened the <laughs> next year? The first of back-to-back championships. This year, Jimmy Butler refused to post up more points than, what's the guy's name, Bryn? Than someone I can't even remember the name of. Yeah. What's going to happen next year? You never know. All right. All right. Wow. I like where your head's at. That's an implied uh, championship next year for the Miami Heat, I think, is what I just You can heard. book it. Yet a promise. I think the real story with the Heat here is that we were duped. What we saw in the bubble is not who they are. And we expected them to be that this season. And I think they were terrible in this series against the Bucks. They were amazing in the bubble. Who the Heat really are is somewhere in the middle. It's not flashy to say, but like they overachieved last year. I think yeah, Heat fans did. wanted them to be what they were last year, this year. And they're just not that. You know, the thing is, and I'm not being an apologist here because they deserve to lose, but the Heat and the Panthers both drew very tough first-round opponents. Yes. I mean, you know, normally in the playoffs, in the first round, you expect sort of a bunny opponent. You know, you're going to win 4-1, to one, you're going to move on, and then in the second round, it gets tough. 
This time, the Panthers play the defending champion Lightning in the first round, and the Heat play Giannis and Milwaukee, which is much improved over but last year. So I, I think the Panthers just got unlucky. The Heat lost their way to playing the Bucks. The Heat had a bunch of bad losses this season. Jimmy Butler missed a game late in the season where they, that game would have put them yep. against either the Hawks or the Knicks. Like I, I, I'm with you that I feel the Panthers got unlucky. I blame the Heat for their tough draw. Uh, that that's fair, and and also in this series, I think the world of Eric Spolster. I think he's a great coach. Don't do it. it. Don't do it. No, Don't I'm just saying. Eric Spolster. Here comes I'm the saying button. in this, in this series, he had no answers, and and it. I'm not blaming him for this, but he had no magic to pull out of his hat. He did nothing to change the narrative in this series. And I think we generally pull a rabbit out of our hat. We don't pull magic out of a hat. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Uh, That's a good point by you. It is a rabbit. Yeah. If I'm going to use a cliche, at least use the proper cliche. That's the, that's the moral of that story. Um, Before we get on to Mike Ryan, uh, I want to get serious for just a minute and talk about um, a a loss in our family. Uh, We lost our family dog who passed away a few days ago. And, you know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I hesitate to even bring this up because this is a week to honor military personnel who gave their lives in service to the country. And here I am just talking about my, my dog. But anybody out there who owns a pet or has owned a pet or has gone through losing a pet, I think can relate to to what I'm going to say, which is um, Riley was our dog and uh, named him after Pat Riley. That's right. And... um we brought. We, we thought he was going to have knee surgery, believe she. it or not. Yeah, or she. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a pickup there. I don't want to. I don't want to mistake the sex of the dog on morning. Uh, I, I do that all the time, though. Uh, to me, cats are she's and dogs are he's. I don't I've know why. Brought this up before, but <laughs> <laughs> we brought Riley in for knee surgery. Okay, because she was limping crazy, and we yeah, that's how much we love her. We we're going to spend five thousand dollars to have the dog's knee repaired. And they did some preoperative tests, and it turned. Long story short, it turns out she had uh, a cancerous tumor uh, bigger than a softball right on her liver. And um, if we hadn't had her humane, humanely put to sleep, she would have been in agony and, and lived three or four days. So, Christopher, you were there with your wife. I was there with my wife to say goodbye to Riley, and um, you know. I don't know if you remember this, Christopher, but the dog limped into the room uh, led by a nurse and could barely walk. But when Riley saw the four of us, she wagged her tail. Yeah. And and then she collapsed. It was, yeah. I mean, it's, I think everybody who's had a dog can relate to it. It hits you like a ton of bricks. You don't realize the kind of emotion you're going to feel, you know, there's part of you that always thinks, Oh yeah, it's a pet. It, it's not right. a pet though. It, it's, it's like a family member. And yeah, it was rough. It was, yeah. I mean, you saved $5,000 though. Well, that's looking on the bright side. Uh, Speaking of saving uh, I, money, I, I, do we have a sponsor for Greg's tears? <laughs> it's the sight, the sound, the smell of it. Morning, night or noon. It's the feeling you're always welcome. And when you leave, we'll see you. It's the place you always go to When you're with friends or you're all alone It's the taste of Nelly's Diner The place you feel at home 
Step back in time when you step into Nelly's Diner. It's the only place in town to taste Wild Bill Cody's Bison Burger, deep fried in Nana's 100-year-old lard. Or try a tall stack of our award-winning PFBI pancakes. Dig into the signature thang a thang salad. Or try an Uncle Dick footlong. Anything you want and anytime you want it, we got it. All served up with a free side of smiles. We are right where we've been for 60 years at 1440 Zagaki Street downtown. Nelly's Diner. It's the taste of home you never had because your mom sucked at cooking. It's the taste of Nelly's Diner that makes you feel at home. How many episodes in a row are we going to play that Nelly's Diner ad? You know, that's a controversy right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not tired of it yet, but... Uh, We'll see. Uh, you know, it's it's one of our sponsors. I mean, I think we're contractually obligated. So, yeah. you know. Speaking of food, we are out here on Memorial Day weekend. It is Sunday. We are having, what are we doing out here today, Dad? Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm lording over the big green egg. We have a Boston butt cut wow. in half. As he opens it. To half the, uh, have the cooking. <laughs> the Boston butt's got nothing to say. No, I'm going to trying to get the sound of the, oh, I like, see. you know, hearing the wood crackles. Yeah. And... The Boston butt is talking out his ass. What? No, we're out here and we're having a barbecue today. Um, you know, obviously Memorial Day is not all about celebrating. It's about, you know, paying respects to everyone who served our country. We don't want to forget that as we hang out, but we are trying to have fun this weekend. Right. That's a big thing with me, actually. Like when, when somebody says, hey, happy Memorial Day, I usually politely say why happy Memorial Day might not be the best phrase. You're that guy. I am that guy. I have to admit, I say it nicely, but... You know, I'm come from a military family in the sense that my dad fought in World War II and my brother served. And, and so I have great respect for the military, let alone those who uh, gave their lives. So, you know, we're going to have fun. This is this is us coming out of the pandemic. Really, we're having a bunch of people over for the first time in like 14 months. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're very mindful of what Memorial Day means. You just dropped your bona fides on people. Did I? Like, you know, like I have this, my family, this like, and, and you are right. Cause like, I do think, you know, there's a lot of people celebrating the three day weekend, but everyone should remember why we have this three day weekend. And no doubt. Not to, not to mention, I have a cousin who, uh, not only served, more bona fides, n- not, who not only served in Vietnam, but was a, uh, a helicopter, uh, gunman. Like he, he was in the back of the helicopter shooting. So, and he, came home uh, with Agent Orange and, uh, you know, all kind of issues. So so we're out here. We're having a good time today. It's beautiful. It's hot. It um, the whole thing with this green egg is that it the temperature is very easy to control, right? But doesn't that kind of all go out the door when you keep opening the lid over and over again? I Well, first of all, I don't open it over and over again. When you open it, it drops like 50 degrees but comes right back up. I want to cook this big green, uh, this uh, Boston butt at a steady temperature in the 225 to 250 range probably closer to 225 you can see right now it's like 210 and climbing gradually so we're good now you are a stickler whenever you have a barbecue like this and people are coming over for the menu you're kind of anal about people and speaking of pork butts right you're kind of anal about kind of people showing up with unannounced dishes like are you satisfied with uh, the people coming over today has everyone made their dish aware to you they have uh they've gone through uh your mother who's my, uh, you know, culinary uh, advisor. Yeah. And uh, everybody's let her know what they're bringing. And it's all good because, quite frankly, I'm in charge of the main dish, which is the Boston butt right. uh, equals pulled pork sandwiches. And other than that, it's just a free-for-all of sides and, yeah. you know. So, and, and Aunt Bonnie's not coming this year, and she's generally the one that goes... goes uh, gets crazy with bringing stuff you're not ready for. Yeah, she'll go kamikaze on me and just show up with... So I think one time... Like we're having Easter or something, and she shows up with a giant spiral ham. And I had already 
accounted for a ham. You know, we didn't need it. So it's like yeah. you have to. Whose ham was better? Mine. It's <laughs> etiquette that you have. You have to tell the host what you're bringing, if anything. Right. I mean, why does your crepe myrtle tree look so sad? Uh, it looks happy on one side. It's just misshapen. Yeah. You know, if you stand on one side of it and look at the fullness of it, it's beautiful. Yeah. But if you stand on the side of it and see that it's misshapen, it's sad. And the reason it's misshapen is because my daughter's, for my daughter's second birthday, we got a bounce house here and the bounce house people broke your tree. Yeah, they, they were dumbasses. They broke a huge mother branch <laughs> off a young, at that time, crepe myrtle tree. And it's it's never recovered. You can't regrow a mother branch. And so... Um, a mother ranch? I could have sued um, them. <laughs> I could have. Uh, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, Remember the puddle of water over there on the... Oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Now, your wife just came out and gave you a, a, a chore to do. Yeah. Is this how it works when you host, that your wife just sends you around the house doing things all day? Oh, I, I mean, I'm working like a one-armed paper hanger. I am sweating. I need a shower, but I'm going to be in the sun cooking my butt all afternoon. So it's like, why shower to sweat again? So, yeah, it's... Uh, you going in the pool today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I will. My uh, famous belly button will be bared for all to see. It'll be great. <laughs> you mentioned this a little earlier, and I think it's funny, and I think it's interesting that I think we've finally reached the point where people can stop giving qualifiers every time they hang out with people. You know, remember like a few months ago, anytime you'd go to dinner, you would tell people, I haven't, I, I've, I haven't gone to dinner in right. six months, and you yeah. brag about how... F- right. I feel like we've finally reached the point now where there's like, we're not going to be saying to everybody, wow, I haven't done anything in a long time. Like we're finally over the hump, I think, just in terms of just that weirdness. I agree. Um, this, I think we're having like 15 or 17 people over today. And that's a lot. I think that's actually more. You're making us seem, now we're doing the thing where we're bragging. We're overstating how many people we're having because we're that back to normal. I thought it was 15 or 17. I could be wrong. But, you know, four months ago, if I had seven, eight, nine cars in my driveway, a cop might knock on my door. I mean, you, you just couldn't do it. And now sort of we're coming out of this thing. We're not, you know, I'm very mindful, very mindful that the pandemic's not over, that uh, I think two days ago, 87 more people died in Florida alone. So, you know, I still wear my mask when I go into stores and restaurants. But uh, yeah, the, the return to normalcy is, is almost palpable now. The vaccine is so widely available that if you're not vaccinated at this point, like that's just kind of on you. Right. Like I'm not saying, I mean, if you're not judging, if you're, you know, if you want to wait and see, you know, we don't have to get into that whole debate. I'm just yeah. saying we're, we've, we've had enough time now where people cannot feel guilty about gathering. Totally. I, no, I, I could not agree more. Um, and this is a public service announcement <laughs> for getting vaccinated. <laughs> it sort of is. I mean, you know, there's the more people who are not vaccinated, the more I don't want to be around them. How right? many beers are you going to drink today? <sighs> well, what is are we going to be a seltzer day? I, I don't think it's been a little understated and not really reported on that you've kind of shifted away from Miller Lite into like flavored beers. I have, yeah. Are you are you prepared to talk about that? Uh, I'm prepared to be a little embarrassed to talk about it, but I will. Um, you know, I'll still pick up a, a brown bottle. I mean, I haven't forsaken Miller Lite. That's my beer of choice. Tell me the main beers you have in the fridge now right now. Be honest with the people. Okay. Uh, I like lime-flavored Bud Light. Wow. Um, I do like White Claw, but only certain flavors. I like a lime White Claw. Ooh, I hate lime. Do you? Yeah. I like mango. I like black cherry. Okay. I have some black cherry in the house. And uh, that's about it. You know, I'm I'm a man of simple taste. Don't we you have like some Mick Ultra fla- flavored Mick Ultra or something. I no, I don't have Mick Ultra. Oh, you look at you looking down. You have Bud Light Lime. Okay, you right. you can't be judging anybody. Well, why do people look down on Bud Light Lime? It's What's just, up with that? I mean, I'm just my. You kind of scoffed at 
Mick Ultra, and I'm just saying when you're drinking Bud Light Lime, you can't really be throwing stones. I will have to admit, uh, I used to scoff at flavored beer, and you know, in, in fact, I think I did it back in my day making fun of flavored beer. But uh, and now I will drink uh, Bud Lime, uh, Bud Light Lime every once in a while. Yeah. Should we get to Mike Ryan? You know what? Why not? Let's do it. Come on, Mike. Hey, it's Mike. I mean, what do you mean? We're not doing the. We're, we're it's Sunday and we're barbecuing. That's true. Yeah, but if we'll say hi to him in the interview. I almost feel like he's here with us in spirit. Here's Mike Ryan. Hey, it's Mike Ryan. There he is. <laughs> that is a man that has lived and died and possibly living again. We're still unsure about the last part. Hey, everybody. <laughs> oh, he, oh boy, he's got the hangover voice. Is that the hangover voice? How's everybody doing today? Not as good as you, Mike. What is it like to be a fan of the best team in the world and the worst soccer team in the world? <laughs> How many people can say that? I, m- I made the biggest mistake of my life, which is I went to the Inter Miami game after Chelsea won the championship final. <laughs> Unbelievable! But talk about the extremes. And when did you regret that? Like, at what point in the Inter Miami game? Well, my uh, my dr- my my seats. I was going to say my drinks have seats, but um, <laughs> my seats have like all you can drink beers. Oh my god! So it wasn't terrible. It was a very expensive Uber that I regretted. That I could have just like bought a champagne bottle for that bread. But how's everybody doing? <laughs> hey, we're good. How come you're not uh, drunk in a gutter somewhere? I mean, you are in, you know, you're upright. You're looking pretty sharp. <laughs> it was a long night. I am drunk somewhere, just not in a gutter. I'm drunk in a Zoom with you guys, so <laughs> let's do it. All right. Um, you all know Mike Ryan, producer extraordinaire, leader of the shipping container. What other titles uh, do you uh, adhere to, Mike? Uh, just maker of stuff. Maker of stuff. Chelsea Miked Up podcast. There's that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, actually. Okay. Um, now the Chelsea was an underdog in that game. They won one nil. Um, why do you think that was? What a terrible question. So like, let's just pay, like, I'm, I'm more interested, forget about the game. I'm more interested in the insanity of the celebration. What, where were you at? How, how insane was the celebration? I'm a, a big softy now that I had a baby and I was overcome with emotion. And that's the first time I've ever like wept when a team won. Quite honestly, I, really? I wept. And I couldn't control my body. And in ret- I've seen videos. The bar that I was at posted videos on their IG story. And I'm so thankful they disappear after 24 hours because <laughs> I I was like a terrible husband in that moment because they were just throwing beers and champagnes and drinks all all in that moment. And I didn't protect my wife. I just like I just collapsed over a bar for what I thought was only like maybe three seconds. But no, I was down there weeping for a good like four and a half minutes wow uh, it, maybe i had more stuff going on than just chelsea football club but it all it all hit me there and it was a it was an amazing release and uh what was your question <laughs> well my i want to get into this weeping thing what is the timing of the weep do you weep when the goal is scored no or do you weep after the game had the final whistle so another thing that happened like after i hit 30 was i i my anxiety has a name I just thought my my hands would go numb anytime like a, there was a tight sporting event, but I just got I was super anxious that entire game, and there were seven minutes of stoppage time. And if you could have just asked me, like, just take me out of this, I never even wanted to be in the game at that point. I didn't care that we were leading one nil. Like, what, what what I was feeling in my body was torturous. So 
by the time the final whistle blew, I, I just had nothing left and it all just came out of me. But I'm I'm so happy we won. I'm so happy we won. In retrospect, fool, fool. Yeah, why would you want to be out of that moment? That's what it all goes into that great release. And I'm actually enjoying it more now than I did in the moment because of my nerves. Did you expect Chelsea to win that game? I thought we'd limit their chances, and I thought we'd have a couple of our chances in that game. The whole story with Chelsea this season is they do create a fair amount of chances, and they've been very wasteful with them. So I thought the whole key to the game was you're going to get one great opportunity in that game, and you haven't been able to put away your really great opportunities for a large chunk of this season. So it's going to come down to that, and thankfully Kai Havertz put that away. And I was actually happy about that because uh, – not a lot of Americans were happy with the fact that Christian Pulisic was on the bench. Right. But I was even championing that notion. Let's put Kai Havertz in the starting 11. So I'm glad Thomas Tuchel's tough decision was rewarded by that. And I thought Pulisic offered some good stuff off the bench. Everything from the manager was uh, tactical brilliance, I felt. Now, for, for people who don't know uh, international soccer that well, don't exactly know what the Champions League is about, it's for the club championship of all Europe, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a... Uh, you know how NBA champions call themselves world champions, right? And, and they don't really have to prove it by like playing Australia's biggest. So the Champions League is are is the best club in the world. If you win the Champions League, you are the best club in the world. Now there is a Club World Cup where Chelsea will move on to next year. It's kind of a weird competition, but for all intents and purposes, Chelsea won the biggest club soccer prize on the planet. Now, I want to lurch from uh, the sublime to the ridiculous and uh, talk about Inter-Miami for a minute because, you know, as a second-year club in MLS, you don't necessarily expect them to be a big winner yet, but compounding the losing is the embarrassment of being caught cheating, uh, you know, regarding the roster budget regulations and being fined $2 million, having their uh, budget cut in 22 and 23, plus Jorge Mas gets a a $250,000 personal fine, a massive, that's a soccer word I like to use, massive uh, embarrassment for Inter-Miami. What, what was your take on all that? I cannot believe that you're making him talk about Inter-Miami today. Like, that is just <laughs> disrespectful. No, I'll answer the question, though. It's a, it's okay. Greg, I, I, I love Inter-Miami, too. Um, they're a really bad club. The owners are still trying to trying to figure it out. They were not only the first MLS club to apparently have four DPs, they were the first MLS club to now have five. We, we had a fifth DP out there that we didn't know about, and that got them sort of backdooring their way into an expanded playoff and getting absolutely tonked by their fellow expansion team, Nashville, which seems a lot further along than they are. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, super embarrassing. Paul McDonough, the ownership... They should be super embarrassed, and I think they are. These are that's not a small deal in MLS. The uh, the allocation funds. I think it's absurd that MLS has a salary cap. I think we just have an example right here within Miami that spending money in that sport does not guarantee you anything. But apparently, a lot of the um, a lot of the older school, more American owners, the legacy owners like the Crafts and the Hunt family. They wield a lot of power when it comes to the competition committee. So I don't think that salary cap's going anywhere. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't really know what the turnaround is outside of just waiting for Lionel Messi. I really don't. But this is an MLS problem that the salary cap creates. 
Uh, Alexi Lalas tweeted out, let he who has no sin cast a first stone when it comes to MLS. MLS teams do this stuff all the time. Zlatan Ibrahimovic was not a designated player. Zlatan Ibrahimovic played for LA Galaxy, which is owned by AEG. A couple of years after Zlatan leaves LA Galaxy, guess who has a 20% ownership stake in a Swedish football club that's owned by AEG? Mm, imagine that. It's just, it, it's just right. funny how that happens. It, apparently, there was such an obvious slip-up that the MLS couldn't look the other way. Because the MLS is kind of, it's kind of like recruiting in the SEC. You just kind of turn a blind eye to it. But a mistake was made somewhere along the way, uh, the way that was just too big to ignore, and MLS had to do something here. What do you think David Beckham is thinking right now? Jesus Christ, what did I get myself into? Or Because his brand, you know, not that it's going to take a hit because of Inter-Miami, but he has an impeccable brand, David Beckham, an international brand. And this right now is a flaming failure for him so far. The uh, the redemption stories were already coming out in the UK press that he didn't have much say. Like last year wasn't on him, and he's here set to turn it around with Neville bringing in his own guys and really institute a culture. And maybe for three weeks it was looking kind of rosy for David Beckham, but this team is slow. They they are not good. Uh, David Beckham does bring an elegance to things, right? He, they are the most, in terms of social media metrics, they are the most discussed MLS team on the planet right now. They get a lot of interest from across the pond. They're synonymous. Like people know Inner Miami. Inner Miami is it's kind of like Tiger Woods in golf. Across the pond, Inner Miami is almost as famous as, as MLS is, as an entity. It's really like Beckham's that big of a deal, but it's, a, it's an absolute flop. Uh, I will say, though, two years, you get Lionel Messi, all that stuff falls by the wayside. And David Beckham's supposed to get you into big-time rooms. And he's already done it with some of these players. I just don't think he's really, he's really targeted good MLS players. A lot of these players, like, why are we spending a DP slot on Matuidi? Yeah, I know he's a world champion, played for, was starting for France uh, in the midfield for a World Cup champion two years ago. But that is not going to win you MLS games. He's not... It's not a sexy player. Gonzalo Higuain, he was done. Done two years ago. Finished. He's slow. I, I don't understand any of these signings. And there aren't enough MLS guys. It's a very weird league. You have Gonzalo Higuain, who's played for several of the world's biggest clubs, and he's getting kicked to death by some third-round pick out of Wake Forest who's making $50,000 a, a year who will kill Gonzalo Higuain so he can continue making that $50,000 a year. It's one of the weirdest leagues, and you need to, you can't just come in from the outside and start dominating it unless you have an all world elite player, and Inter Miami are lacking that. We are speaking with Inter Miami general manager Mike Ryan, and we'll be back in a minute with uh, Levitard show producer Mike Ryan, who's about to uh, tell us about this 24 hour extravaganza. I don't even take commercial breaks. Like, what is this? Like, what did you just do? Like a reset? I know. It's, I don't know where I was going with that. He just really wants to play Nelly's Diner again. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know, Mike, what last night, like, did you guys get, like, did you get wild after? Like, what was your, like, what was the celebration like? After? I, I don't, after. He went to the heat. He went to the Inter-Miami game. But, like, I, I meant after that, like, did the party keep going? Like, I just, like, what was the most fun you had last night? Like, what was the, what was the funnest part about yesterday for you? Man, I, so, for me, I had the most fun about 45 minutes after the final whistle. 
because then I I could lean into the fact that we were champions, and I was I was kind of worried VAR would take something away like 30, 30 <laughs> minutes later. Um, yeah, I, I finally settled into it, and I I got to celebrate it with friends. But I really couldn't enjoy it all that long because I needed to get an Uber to go to Boca Raton to watch Inter Miami play soccer. It was ridiculous. So got a little, little shut eye there. All right, so you're on a boat. You're on a boat, and it's sinking. And on this boat, and you can only save one per one person. You have your wife and Nicola Contact. <laughs> so who are we saving? Uh, I'm saving my wife because I know N'Golo Conte has got to figure it out. <laughs> That's a good answer. That easier. I think N'Golo Conte is going to save me and my wife and the boat. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, that that guy is so subtle, man. Like he is he the quietest great player in soccer. There's there's a lot of quiet great players, but yeah, he's uh, his story for those that are unfamiliar. N'Golo Conte is like five foot six, if that. He was like in the third level of French domestic soccer just like seven years ago. And he started climbing and every team that he's on just wins. And he went to Leicester. He signed for Leicester and Leicester ended up winning the Premier League. He turned Danny Drinkwater into an English international who's playing <laughs> next to him. Danny Drinkwater is one of the worst <laughs> soccer players I've ever seen in my entire life. N'Golo, Great name though. N'Golo Conte is... He gets a... I don't think he gets enough credit for his brilliance, like it, it, the mental aspect of the game, because you watch a game and you're like, how the hell is this tiny guy everywhere? How is he winning headers against guys twice his size? How is he bodying up guys twice his size, bullying people off the ball? But he gets into places, yeah, he's got some pace. He doesn't have the pace that he had in 2017. That's why I find the balloon d'or thing like, okay, we're going to reward this guy for the brilliant career he had because... 2017, I thought N'Golo Conte was absolutely the best player in the world. He struggled with injuries. He struggled with injuries, and he kind of got, you know, there was chatter. Do Chelsea even transfer him? Does, it, does he go to PSG? And I'm so happy he's getting his moment in the sun because if you're a casual soccer fan, what he does doesn't necessarily jump off the screen because he's not scoring the goals, right? But if I tell any casual, just do me a favor, watch number seven, for 15 straight minutes. Do not take your eyes off him. They'll be blown away by him. You know, if you had told me that uh, we'd be spending five minutes on my podcast talking about N'Golo Conte, uh, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have. Dad, have you even heard of him? Never. Really? <laughs> That's a shame. It's a shame. I, I don't even follow soccer and I've heard of him. That's like his smile is enough to just make the world move like that alone that alone yeah that's a <laughs> that's that's great that's a smile the, right yeti there. i love that description his smile enough is is enough to make the world move yeah he uh he's a very quiet individual too he's adorable and he's got this smile there's photos of him on a bicycle i just google ingolo Conte on a bicycle and it'll make your day oh my god it's delightful this picture okay now let's stop talking about ingolo Conte. <laughs> It's a weird campaign that you have against Ngolo Conte. He's gonna, he's gonna be, he's gonna win the Balloon d'Or, Greg. And uh, you seeing the picture right now of him on a bicycle, Chris? Oh, what a delightful yeah. picture! Oh my delightful god, delightful human. So delightful. He's riding a bike. All right, I'm gonna Google that. I'll look it up later. Don't you root for the French national team? How do you not know Ngolo Conte? He's, a, he's a fraud. I just no. I mean, that's you know, I don't know the French national. I know PSG. It's, c it's because his name isn't Ngolo Cote. That's why. 
There you go. <laughs> uh, I follow PSG a little, little bit, but uh, yeah, you just you just know that team exists. That's the extent of you following PSG. <laughs> I have been in the Paris airport seeing all the paraphernalia. See, here we go. Yeah, I bought Christopher a PSG shirt. I'm a, I'm a PSG guy. I came home from uh, Paris with a beret. Hashtag PSG. Hashtag Salt Life. Hashtag I wish I were a girl dad. This is the trend we're seeing over the last right. few all weeks. Of that, all of that stuff. Exactly right. Um, Mike, uh, describe this 24-hour thing because that has to have been a – I know a lot of it is falling on you to sort of organize and everything. What what kind of an undertaking has this been? Because it seems like just an incredible thing to be on the air 24 hours straight. Yeah, I think being on the air for 24 hours in itself is daunting. But the preparation for this, Chris could tell you from working on it, this is the most organized, structured thing we've ever done in our entire show mm-hmm. history. And I can't take all the credit for it. Carl Scott, our executive audio director over at Metal Arc, has really put in some organizational properties that we've been sorely lacking. But I'm on graphics meetings. I'm on television meetings. We're building out a whole new television infrastructure alongside this because the hope is there's no going back after this, that we do more and more things visually. Because if we've always... well. According to DraftKings, we've done a very good job with our priorities because we prioritize digital audio. But I feel like we've kind of fallen back on digital video. And this 24-hour marathon is going to be a line of demarcation. That was the old Levitard show. Now we're leaning more into digital video. And we have to build that out. And we're building that out with a whole new internet infrastructure, bandwidth, all the all these technical terms that bore people. But it it takes a lot to get this thing off the ground. And it's not just throwing four people in an air studio for 24 hours, seeing what's six to the wall. It's a, a really ambitious project from us, not to raise expectations because I'm gen- genuinely worried as to whether or not we can pull it off. But it's going to be fun. It's going to spotlight all the Levitard and Friends properties, all our podcasts, and Greg Cody is going to have a spotlight to himself, the only non-Levitard and Friend podcast property oh that's an honor actually that's not true because cinephobe is going to be doing an episode and they're not formally with us they're kind of adjacent kind of like you greg you've got the graveyard shift at 4 a.m well i should say i mean i to me that's not the graveyard shift that's what i wanted i mean if you're looking for a time (laughs) slot you want 4 to 5 a.m so i really appreciate being given that what are Um, your plans for it uh you know that's top secret (laughs) but uh we're believe me we're we're building for it. Let me ask Chris a question. Chris, what are the plans for it? Anything? Yeah, you know, we do have a few plans. We're gonna bring in uh, a doctor, I think, to talk about my dad's belly button. That's the that's gonna be tough though. We're working on getting someone to get up at four a.m. But uh, and there's another. What was the other guest that we have? That we we're working on dad. The guy that oh, the guy that gave a guy that gave my dad a fake story once. Yeah, uh, Ken Fogarty. Yeah, we may we may line him up because um, he's over. He's across the pond, so that the timing might work out for him. He is. It's also Uncle Dick's yeah. wake up time. Maybe we can we can do a, a a wake up call with Uncle Dick. Uncle Dick might make an appearance too. Oh, okay. I, I mean, whatever you want. I'll just be I'll be there, probably in worse shape than I am now. And... <laughs> That's honestly why I'm not over planning it because I assume there's going to be some people around. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, people will be coming in and yeah, out. Yeah, they're going to be people um, for you, Greg. Mike, let me ask a dumb question because I don't know. Is this a visual thing? This 24 hours, like people can watch it on a on what? How, how does that work? Dad, he just said this is like a shift that we're doing into like video. Right. And yes. I'm asking him, how can people watch it? YouTube. 
Yeah, YouTube. YouTube. See, I didn't YouTube, know YouTube, Levitard and Friends, or just go to our social media handles at Levitard Show on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll put out more details this week and give you direct links. It's going to be very easy to follow. I cannot believe you asked me that question. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. Mike, you know me. Yes, you can believe I asked you that question. Um, so I'm going to be uh, visual uh, from 4 to 5 a.m., so I'm going to have to wear pants. So I'm uh, I'm gonna do that. You could you could not wear pants if you prefer. Go go for it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, now we'll see. Greg, are you going to be in the studio, or are you going to be from home? Yeah, no, I'll be in the studio because um, Mike uh, actually wants me there, available for all 24 hours. So um, that's going to be interesting to see if I can physically do that <clears throat> without clearing my throat. Oh, that <laughs> that's all right. We've we've kept you too long, Mike, and um, we really appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Appreciate it. Up the chills. Thanks, Mike Ryan. Appreciate all your wisdom. We talked way too much about soccer, particularly that guy I've never heard of. But still, it was an entertaining um, uh, conversation that shared a little light on the 24-hour thing, which uh, really interests me. You love a light being shined on something. I do. Shine a little light. That's an outdated thing. Like, was that back in the day, like when you'd be getting interrogated by a police officer? Like, would a light get shined in your face? Does that like make you more likely to be honest? Like, what's actually happening there with lights being shined in faces? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if there's a flashlight shining in your face, uh, you know, you you recoil and you're like, all right, what do you want to know? I just, you know, I don't though. I just say, get that bright light out. I, of I think it so. probably actually comes from you know bringing something out of the dark and revealing something. You shine a light on this situation. That's probably right. where it comes from, but maybe not. Maybe Greg just likes to interrogate people. But also in, during interrogations, am I wrong that in interrogations in movies, there's sometimes like a light being shined? It's an intimidation like, hey. factor. Okay. Yeah, I think normally there's a naked bulb above the table where, where you're being interrogated, um, which leads us to the latest edition of Mount Gregmore. By the way, this one is dear to my heart uh, because I'm a nostalgic person. And also an ardent uh, taphophile, that's uh, T-A-P-H-O-P-H-I-L-E, which is someone who takes an interest in cemeteries. So, today's Greg Moore is a boneyard tour, a ranking of our all-but-forgotten dead South Florida professional sports teams. First, our honorable mention. Fort Lauderdale strikers don't get considered for this because they were too well-known. They were too big for too long. Uh, but but the honorable mentions who just didn't make the list include the Fort Lauderdale Yankees, Miami Soul, uh, Miami Hooters, Miami Breakers, and Miami Fusion. Now, number five. Long before the Heat existed and fans were cheering Dwayne Wade, Miami basketball fans were cheering for stars named Mac Calvin and Donnie Freeman. It was the Miami Floridians, later called just the Floridians. They bounced the red, white, and blue ABA ball from 1969 to 1972. Number Man, four. You sound bored by this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm faking enthusiasm. What are you talking about? Number four. Clearly reading. The USFL once existed as a challenger to the NFL, and in 1984, the league's Washington Federals were relocating to Miami, but wound up in Orlando instead because Miami hotel developer Woody Weiser pulled out. Pulled his money out, too. Notably, Weiser had signed Howard Schnellenberger away from the Hurricanes to coach the Miami USFL team that never was changing the course of UM history. Number three. The original Miami Marlins played in the AAA International League in 1956-60 to 60 
The current Marlins' new alternate uniforms are an homage to that team. The original Marlins once drew a crowd of 57,000 of the Orange Bowl to watch Miami star Leroy Satchel Page pitch. He was then in his mid-50s. Number 2. The NHL once had a pretty serious rival called the WHA. And in 1972, there was an expansion team called the Miami Screaming Eagles. They made headlines by signing a future Hall of Fame goaltender named Bernie Parent. The team never played a game, folding after a new arena deal fell through and the old Hollywood Sportatorium, where Greg Cody once saw Kiss perform, was deemed unsuitable for hockey. And our number one dead South Florida team. You're not that excited about this. Oh, this is dramatic. It's like a dramatic thing I'm doing here. The number one dead South Florida team. It's 1946. World War II has just ended. The All-America Football Conference was formed as a short-lived rival to the NFL, and an expansion team called the Miami Seahawks became our first-ever pro team. It went 3-11 in its first and only season at the Orange Bowl, then known as Burdine Stadium, before relocating to Baltimore. The Miami Seahawks. Mm. <laughs> How about that? Christopher is literally you, you asleep put in sleep. Zoom. <laughs> I'm sorry, what happened? It was like a lullaby. <laughs> I mean, when I whispered, Christ, I used to do that when Christopher was a, an infant and a toddler. He used to read me that list to put me to sleep. (laughs) When I I would whisper like this, Christopher would fall asleep. We've covered losers. We've covered lost pets. We've covered um, bad inner Miami football. And now we've covered lost football teams. What a terrible, terrible show this has been. It's been a depressing show, I guess, a little bit. But, uh, you know, Mike was talking about Chelsea, so that's a happy thing. Right? No? (laughs) (laughs) What was that list, Dad? I want to have <laughs> okay. this. I want to have this this on air right. show meeting. Okay, was that funny? Uh, I thought there was some a little bit of humor in it. Was it interesting? Yeah, I think it was interesting, particularly if uh, particularly if you live in the greater Miami area, you'll nod like a puppy dog at a lot of uh, those references. And also, I think listen, listener, whatever city you're in, I don't care if you're in uh, Australia or North Dakota. Uh, there's a dead team near you. There's a team that used to exist that doesn't anymore. And I find that interesting because I am a taphophile and because I'm I'm into the past and nostalgia, uh, not to mention cemetery. So for me, I found that interesting. And since my name is on the podcast, I guess sometimes <laughs> I get the ability to decide what uh, what is interesting. How about that? Yeah, eat that, Chris. It's his show. There you go. <laughs> Zach Aki, podcast listeners, pod family. Appreciate you all every week. As you know, uh, review, subscribe, follow, listen, recommend, whatever the hell you do, do it. And uh, we appreciate you every time. And just because it's a holiday, don't not listen. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Loserville. 